I'm Nathan Gibbs, and this is Deep and Wide, a podcast about Christian culture and how ancient biblical texts are applied to issues raised in a modern world. In our last episode, we looked at creation in the book of Genesis to better understand the original language and the ancient cultural context of the time of its writing. We learned about ways of interpreting Genesis that include accepting the scientific evidence supporting evolution, while at the same time maintaining faith in a creator. Today, we wrap up our series on faith and science with the help of Dr. Jennifer Huddleston, who's a microbiologist and chair of the biology department at Abilene Christian University. She offers insight into how evolution is discussed today in science classrooms within the context of a Christian university, and she shares a bit of her personal journey as a scientist and as a person of faith. As I was growing up in a conservative uh, Christian tradition, we did not talk about evolution in church. And when we did, we talked about how it was completely wrong and anti-God. And whenever I was struggling with thinking about, do I accept evolution? Do I not? Whenever I was in my early 20s, I did not know who to go to talk to in church. I did not know anybody that I could reach out to. But first, we look at a public controversy in the 80s surrounding evolution in the Christian University classroom. What was a private religious university teaching about the origins of the universe and life on earth? And what do scandals like these teach us about Christian culture and how people of faith approach this and other topics today? For the greater part of two years, from early 1985, really until the end of 1986, uh, where the university is fielding just dozens upon dozens uh, every week of letters, of phone calls of from people, especially on the right wing of the movement, again, folks from smaller, more conservative, more rural congregations, uh, who are really uh, either concerned or upset or angry about what they see as ACU straying from the path and sort of doing the unthinkable, which is embracing evolution. That's Paul Anthony, a PhD student in American religious history at Florida State University. He wrote an article that was published in Restoration Quarterly titled Untruths and Propaganda, surveying the 1985-86 Abilene Christian University evolution controversy. We'll hear from him about what exactly happened and what we can learn from it. Paul, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Nathan. So when we look at Christian universities in general, many Christian universities have science or biology departments, and they're going to be teaching some form of science. Uh, you know, your uh, article was about the 1980s controversy for Abilene Christian University, but even within the context of Abilene Christian University, uh, the 80s wasn't when all this started, Right. No, that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, this was actually not even ACU's first evolution controversy. They they had a pretty major one in the 1920s, which, you know, if you're familiar with the history of sort of uh, the way that this subject has played out over the course of Christian history, the Scopes trial uh, in Tennessee took place in 1925, which was the 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 trial over whether or not a teacher had had taught evolution in the public schools, uh, and and so you know ACU having a having a controversy like this in the in the 20s is not not particularly. Uh, surprising, and that controversy actually led to the firing of a professor in in a in what was at the time and the newly created uh, seminary that Jesse Sewell had had tried to get started up, 
so so th- I think that initial controversy sort of hung over the rest of 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 the university's dealings with evolution even you know you know how these cultures kind of get started and and kind of, and can persist even though nobody uh was alive or aware of what happened you know 40 50 years ago uh and uh, and I think that's the the case here that that the results of that 1922 controversy when Jesse Sewell fires William Webb Freeman for suggesting in the firm foundation that uh, the Bible, the book of Genesis, does not need to be taken literally and that Christians can, in fact, uh, uh, support Darwinian evolution alongside uh, a, a belief in the Bible and, and Christianity. Uh, the, the results of that controversy really sort of color Everything else that happens uh, when the subject of evolution comes up at ACU for the next uh, for the next sixty five years. So Abilene Christian has a biology department where students are learning about science, uh, and I'm wondering, you know, when you're doing your research about all of this specifically for ACU, what did you see about how evolution was or wasn't being taught in the university back in the eighties? Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say going back uh, and looking at, at what was being or what people remember having been taught in the '80s and even further back that evolution in ACU's biology classrooms, uh, to you know make an obvious allusion, uh, evolved uh, over the course of the 20th century. So uh, even as far back as the 1960s, when in Churches of Christ. Uh, Rule Lemons, who's editing the Firm Foundation, is actually leading a statewide charge against uh, textbooks in public schools that discuss evolution as fact. Uh, even though that, even though that's the general tenor of sort of the popular beliefs about evolution within Churches of Christ, the ACU biology faculty is conspicuously absent from that push. And uh, in fact, the biology professor was asked by the administration at that time to join in and he uh, declined and, and took that as his signal that he should probably sort of ease on out the door. Uh, and so, so even as far back as the 60s, you have biology faculty who are at least acceptors of the scientific consensus about Darwinian evolution, but they are very much uh, keeping that quiet. Uh, but then over the, that next 20 years, by the time 1985 rolls around, it seems like you have biology faculty who are willing to say or willing to accept Darwinian evolution descent from a single common ancestor for at least non-human animals. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're willing to sort of accept that natural selection is the primary driver of, of evolution, the way that Darwin suggested. Uh, all you know, if, if they even if they might sort of say, well, human evolution might be a different thing. They're willing to accept large portions of of sort of the Darwinian, the neo-Darwinian synthesis, uh, but they do so in a very sort of circumspect way. Uh, to where they try to avoid using the word evolution, where they they might not really uh, talk forthrightly about how what they're teaching is in fact Darwinian evolution, uh, in order to sort of uh, get around some of the controversy that obviously still existed in the broader community of the Churches of Christ uh, around the subject in the 1980s. So what was it that brought this controversy forward in the 80s? What what happened that uh, got this all out? Yeah, it's uh, it really starts with a student named uh, Mark Scott, who um, in in and, and it, it, he's it's difficult to pin down his motivations whether he was genuinely outraged or whether he was sort of a um, you know an early version of what you know we would call a troll in sort of the internet lingo. Um, he uh, he sort of had a reputation on campus for being a, uh, an aggressive and um, confrontational student. There were 
uh, faculty members all over campus in both the sciences and the Bible department who re uh, remembered having run-ins with him in their offices, unpleasant uh, conversations with him uh, about their beliefs regarding science, regarding the Bible. Uh, so in early 1985, he uh, writes a letter to Bert Thompson. Uh, Bert Thompson was the uh, founder and CEO of a publishing company called Apologetics Press in Alabama, where he self-published a whole series of books condemning uh, evolution, both what he would describe as atheistic evolution, but he would also condemn theistic evolution. Uh, so all forms of evolution, he, he, he said, you know, were, were untrue. Uh, as, as well as other other similar books, as you would guess from the name Apologetics Press, sort of the idea of sort of defending uh, the faith. And he was Church of Christ, and um, he actually, uh, I, I believe, uh, attended ACU and, and graduated with a master's in molecular biology or something like that from Texas A and M. Uh, but uh, so so Thompson gets this letter from Mark Scott and immediately, uh, you know. Uh, reaches out to the university uh, to sort of with these allegations that Scott is making to get the university's response. Okay, so what happens uh, What happens next? Like, what does the university do? Mark Scott is, is sort of arguing that he has been taught uh, evolution in the classroom as fact without uh, a creationist response, without refutation, uh, is the way that, that he and Bert Thompson would have put it. Uh, and he's he singles out three, uh, he singles out two faculty in particular, uh, Archie Manis, uh, who was teaching uh, intro biology, and uh, Ken Williams, who was teaching botany. Uh, and there's a third professor, James Nichols, who, of course, was chair of the biology department for a long time, uh, who who was also had Mark Scott in his class and also remembers having confrontations with with uh, with Mark Scott, but interestingly never gets mentioned in, in Scott's allegations. Uh, so, so Thompson essentially takes these allegations and, and packages them into a letter with a very long questionnaire with all of these questions. Are you teaching evolution? Uh, what is your opinion about the literal seven-day creation of Genesis? Are you assigning these particular textbooks, which of course Mark Scott has, has listed for him? Uh, are you assigning any creationist uh, textbooks or works you know, to rebut them? Uh, one of the things that, uh, that Scott had, uh, was especially offended by, and that Bert Thompson uh, really latched onto as well, um, was a handout that uh, Dr. Manis had had put in his class. It was a it was a scan or a, a copy of the first page of the Bible, Genesis one, uh, and uh, with uh, with underlines and sort of notes about what the creation story is doing there. And at the top, it says. Um, uh, hymn slash myth, hymn like a, a song, hymn slash myth. Uh, and, and that word, having that word myth on the top of a photocopy of Genesis 1 uh, was really uh, incendiary, or at least uh, Thompson recognized its potential to be incendiary. Uh, and that's kind of what kicks off the whole the whole thing is when they receive uh, these letters. Uh, he sends them on, uh, on March 27th of 1985. Uh, Ken Williams immediately forwards this questionnaire to Perry Reeves, who is uh, at the time uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, if I remember correctly, uh, and, uh, and basically says, this is what we have to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, both professors, sort of their initial instinct is not respond at all and hope that it'll blow over. And that's actually uh, uh, Reeves's uh, hope as well. He responds with, with sort of what I would say is sort of a boilerplate response that sort of that, that basically says we believe in the creation story of the Bible we believe that God is the creator of heaven and earth uh you know and, and kind of leave it there 
which allows, of course, for all sorts of interpretations of the science and evolution that also allows for God to be the creator of heaven and earth. You can still say you believe in the creation narrative while, while you know, accepting that, uh, that, that the, the narrative happens over millions or billions of years. And so uh, Thompson yeah, is not mollified by this, this response because for Thompson, it's very, it's very clear. All forms of evolution are, are wrong. And the only uh, the only accurate, both scientifically and uh, morally, uh, the a way of describing the creation of the world is to describe it as a as a recent six day creation, no more than six thousand years ago. And and because the scientists and the ACU's biology faculty are not willing to say that, you have you have a conflict that cannot be resolved as easily as as these conflicts maybe were resolved in the past by sort of relying on people's fuzzy uh, understandings of what evolution meant or what creation meant or what biblical inerrancy meant or that sort of thing. So fast forwarding just a little bit, Bert Thompson then publishes a book uh, yeah. literally about this problem at ACU and now and sends letters to uh, the students' parents. I mean, really is just attacking the university about as much as anyone could. And the university is now, of course, in you know uh, defensive mode in a public scandal. Yeah, say what you will about about Bert Thompson. He's really smart about how to get publicity, especially in this 1980s pre-internet era, right? You know, today somebody could just go on to social media somewhere or start a blog or, or you know make a TikTok or something and, and and make it go viral. And in the 1980s, none of that is possible. So he really begins this letter writing campaign even before he publishes the book. He kind of seeds the ground of outrage by sending letters and sending the material that he's been sending to ACU and, and forwarding it on to uh, ministers in these really conservative churches of Christ all over rural uh, the rural South, but especially, of course, rural Texas. Uh, you know, he, he has allies who are basically forwarding then that on to their own friends and, and relatives and allies. So he kind of creates a, a almost like a chain letter system of sending out this material. And, and under the guise, the way that he would do it, of just asking questions. He's a concerned alumnus who just wants to make sure that the university is not leading children astray, right? This is the this is the, the rhetoric that gets used. And he, so even before you get to when he publishes the book in January, you've got basically eight or nine months of the university getting barraged with concerned letters from parents, from alumni, from potential or current donors, asking what is going on. We're hearing this about ACU, teaching evolution as fact without rebuttal. Uh, and that ultimately kind of crescendos with the publication of this book uh, that, that Thompson calls uh, Is Genesis Myth? Again, uh, you know, re referring back to that Archie Manis handout. Uh, and, and so it really, it really does become this huge controversy in which for the greater part of two years from early 1985, really until the end of 1986, uh, where the university is fielding just dozens upon dozens uh, every week of letters, of phone calls of from people, uh, especially on the right wing of the movement. Again, folks from smaller, more conservative, more rural congregations uh, who are really uh, either concerned or upset or angry about this, uh, about what they see as ACU straying from the path and sort of doing the unthinkable, which is embracing, in, in, as the way they see it, embracing evolution. So ACU then starts responding, uh, sending letters to students' families, trying to get away from this, uh, trying to convince people that, that maybe what 
is being with that Bert Thompson's accusation isn't even true, right? Even though it might partially be true. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what ACU kind of relies on uh, is is sort of what I what I call in a paper like this semantic ambiguity. Uh, right? Evolution is a complicated subject. Or you've already had two episodes talking about evolution, at you know, where, and and. And so the notion of even what evolution is and then what Darwinism is, like those are not easy soundbite answers. Uh, and similarly, what is creation and the different ways that people understand creation? Uh, so it's very easy then to sort of, to, to make these sort of sweeping claims and then leave the definitions for those claims unspoken so as to try to let people uh, assume the best about what's taking place. Uh, so, so ACU does issue uh, strong denials, and I would say increasingly strong denials, uh, saying we are not teaching evolution as fact. To the extent we teach evolution, it's uh, the same as we would teach communism or other things that we disagree with because, you know, students need to know about these concepts. Um, they, they, they really sort of rely on this, this idea, uh, these sort of uh, what, what Dub Orr, who was a member of the Board of Trustees at the time, called carefully chosen words uh, to basically make it sound like they are not doing what Bert Thompson is accusing them of doing. But if you understand the definitions of those words a certain way, uh, the, they are actually not addressing what Bert Thompson is accusing them of doing at all. Right. So we're not promoting evolution, but we're technically, That's te right. technically teaching it. That's right. So we're not promoting it. We're just teaching it. That's one of the things that, that Thompson was arguing about. You know, and, and this is the thing, one of the conclusions that I reached in the, in the, in the article is if you actually look at the specific things that Bert Thompson is accusing ACU of doing, uh, it's an open and shut case. They were doing exactly what Bert Thompson was accusing them of doing. Did they teach evolution as fact? More or less, yes. Did they, did they, uh, did they teach evolution uh, in the classroom using uh, textbooks written by very much pro-evolution scientists? Yes, they did. Did they have any rebuttal from creationist sources in the classroom? No, they did not. Uh, but because Thompson, being kind of the aggressive uh, apologetics debater that he is, immediately takes that and turns it into an advocacy of, quote, organic evolution, which you could then sort of argue implies sort of an atheistic worldview as opposed to a theistic evolution, ACU is able to sort of say, no, we're not promoting evolution. Never mind that all of the specifics of what Thompson is accusing them of doing are more or less accurate they're able to sort of take his overheated rhetoric, deny the rhetoric, and leave all the rest of it to the side without really addressing it. So ACU responds, essentially appears to publicly deny the claims, again, through some semantic uh, twisting. And how does that sit with the faculty, the, the people who were accused? Yeah, I would say they were not happy, to, to, put, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, one of the things that Thompson demanded uh, to make this all go away in, in sort of a very blackmail kind of sounding sounding thing was statements from the faculty members uh, essentially uh, denying the things that that they you know that they needed to deny and accept the things they needed to accept in other words affirm a six-day literal creation deny that there's any truth to darwinian evolution uh you know the, he, he listed four or five different points that he wanted them to specifically address in a statement that they then signed and once they signed those statements then he would basically you know let the whole thing go this uh, if they didn't then he would publish his books so this is all happening in the fall of 85. 
Uh, there's actually an on-campus meeting that would have been wonderful to be a fly uh, on the wall where, where Thompson is meeting with Perry Rees and C.G. Gray, as well as Ian Fair, who's in charge of the Bible department at the time, and uh, and Dub Orr from the Board of Trustees. They're all sort of hashing this out in the meeting. And then they they come out of this meeting with with uh, with dueling uh, notes as to what actually transpired that, that are, you know, mutually uh, <laughs> incompatible. But nevertheless, uh, Thompson believes that he has secured an agreement to get these statements, uh, but the statements that he gets are uh, are from from Williams and Manis are pretty vague. Uh, in Williams's case, it's a couple of sentences, basically saying "I affirm creation," uh, you know, and then and Manis's is a little bit longer. Uh, in the memo trail, that's that 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 comes as a result of this. It's very clear that both Williams and Manis objected strongly to to uh, issuing any kind of statement. Uh, because they felt that that would undercut their authority as science teachers in a science classroom to have to uh, prove that they were theologically up to snuff to some to, to you know these somebody who's outside of the university. Uh, there's obviously a lot you know all sorts of academic freedom questions that would uh, arise from that. Uh, but then also it seems clear that at least in uh, Manis's case, he was not the one who wrote the statement, and that the statement was written for him maybe by Ian Fair himself uh, out of the Bible department. Uh, and and that was obviously offensive to him also, not just that uh, people wouldn't take his word as an elder at Baker Heights Church of Christ. Manus was also an elder in the Church of Christ, uh, you know, at the same time. People wouldn't take his word for it if he just said, no, I believe in creation. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but that he would actually have to put it in writing and say certain things and then actually have that written for him by somebody in the Bible department. Uh, they both professors felt um betrayed as a result of that process. Uh, they, they felt like the university was not uh, standing behind them. They weren't being fired. They weren't being pressured to uh, teach in a different way, but they certainly felt like the public messaging from the university uh, was not supporting the things that they were trying to do in the classroom. So Paul, having looked at all of this and studied this uh, deeply and researched it, what are some of your takeaways? What's a takeaway uh, for today when we look at uh, controversies like this in the past? Yeah, well, so I guess uh, I would say there's two, and so I'll say one briefly, and then and get to uh, the second one. Uh, one is that this was this response the ACU chose this kind of semantic ambiguity, the the you know the strong denial of the allegations without actually addressing the substance of them. Uh, that was not the only option ACU had. There were several people within ACU, including board members, faculty members, including anti-evolution faculty members uh, from like the history department, who who said that really what ACU should do is, is simply say, uh, this is an issue on which Christians can disagree. Uh, and, and nobody knows how God chose to create the world, uh, that you don't have to agree, you know, you don't have to believe in a literal six day, 6,000 years ago creation, uh, to, to be a good Christian. And ACU chose not to do that, which, uh, uh, I think it's always important to, to point out that, that sometimes these institutional decisions sort of in retrospect look like, uh, inevitable that this was just, bound to happen one way or the other. But there was there was another option on the table that the university administration chose not to take. Uh, and, and so what would have happened if, if they had chosen this other this other option, perhaps a more intellectually honest option that would have also had the benefit of of uh, better supporting the faculty members uh, in question? Uh, you know, there, there's there's no telling, but it's interesting to think about. The uh, and, and that really does sort of segue into the second takeaway, because uh, the 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 personal toll this took is was significant, and so as much fun as it is to talk about the the back and forth and and who uh, who said what, which which you know I, I enjoy 
thinking about and, and talking about, I always try to keep in mind that the human cost, especially, you know, uh, Archie, Archie Manis, who, I, as I mentioned, was a uh, an elder at, at Baker Heights Church of Christ in Abilene, uh, he really received a lot of, of uh, just vicious hate mail as a result of this. People saying that he was, uh, you know, sending, that he was uh, leading children to the devil, that he was, you know, that he was worse than the demons in hell. I mean, some really strong language, especially in a Church of Christ context that really hurt him. As you, and you can tell how much it hurt him based on the letters and the memos that he writes at the time. Uh, you know, he left ACU shortly after the controversy was over, in part, I, you know, because uh, he just couldn't do the job anymore because he felt like he'd been undercut by the university and 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 kind of, I think, lost his faith in the in the system. Uh, and uh, and, you know, he he died fairly young as well. And and and, you know, there's there's some question as to is to the toll on his health that this situation that this this took. Uh, and so I, I, I want to keep that in mind that these uh, that this controversy uh, really had a, a, a real human uh, side to it and it really hurt people the way that it that the way that it unfolded I mean two years of vicious demonization of people who are trying to help students understand the way that God's creation works uh, really uh, it, it, I think it's a, it's a good a lesson for especially for today's hyper-polarized age, uh, that, that there are people behind the words. Uh, there, are, there are people at the front of the classroom, and, uh, and it's, it's good for us to remember that uh, and not just slip into, into the, uh, the ease of, of uh, condemning without, without really thinking about the humanity of the, of the folks in play. Well, Paul, thank you for your work on this. Thank you for researching this and bringing it to light and, to, and for sharing it with us. Well, thank you, Nathan. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Paul Anthony is a Ph.D. student in American Religious History at Florida State University. His master's thesis included research on the 1980s evolution debate at Abilene Christian University. We now turn to Dr. Jennifer Huddleston, microbiologist and chair of the biology department at Abilene Christian University. As she'll talk with us about the lasting effects of this controversy and how evolution is discussed today in science classes within the context of a Christian university. Jennifer, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So we've heard from Paul Anthony about the controversy in the 80s about teaching evolution in a Christian university context, how the university responded, the impact it had on faculty. As a professor here at Abilene Christian, teaching in the biology department, as the chair of the, bi the biology department, how does all that history affect you in the classroom? Like, does it make you reluctant to talk about some of these things? Well, I think the history never leaves us. And we are still in a context where we still have opposing views with the Christian, the very conservative literal reading of Genesis and a very um, literal reading of an interpretation of origins of humans. And so we're not too far from the culture of the 1980s. Um, so that we, that's always in the back of our minds. Um, and we're also a little paranoid. Um, 
For example, a few years ago, before I was chair, I think I was assistant chair at the time, um, the biology department got an email from the uh, president of the university, uh, or from his assistant. It said, um, president of the university would like to meet with you to talk about evolution. And the provost was invited, the dean was invited, the chair of the department, and three or four other biology professors. He just wants to talk about what you teach about evolution at ACU. So all of us immediately thought, oh no, it's the 1980s again. And so we went through, we prepared what we were going to say, trying not to be defensive, but we were all convinced this was, this was not what this meeting was about. So we went into the meeting and we all sat down in the provost's conference room. Um, there was a little tension. President starts, he said, sometimes I get phone calls from parents and they ask me about what we're, we teach about evolution at ACU. And I just want to know, what do we teach about evolution at ACU? What are your thoughts? And so we realized, oh, this is exactly what the meeting is about. And so we laid it all out and we talked through it. We had an excellent conversation. At the end, he said, thank you. I just wanted some clarity so I know how to answer questions. And we all left that meeting thinking, oh, this wasn't the 1980s all over again. It was really about the president wanting to know how to talk to parents. It was not any, any big deal, but that, that history follows us. Um, and we're also very aware that maybe this could happen again. And so there is some caution, but it does not stop us from still teaching theistic evolution. Um, we're very careful about how we say it, as are, I think, a lot of uh, faculty members in biology departments and Christian universities across the country. Um, we want to make sure always that we are backing it up by we're Christians first, we're scientists who accept evolution, um, and we're not here to destroy your faith. We're here to build up your faith. Um, but give you a different way of thinking about science than you ever had before. So we try to be very, very clear in what our intentions are. And so we're not seen as a threat um, that or something <laughs> that needs to be managed. Um, so we're, we're very clear and very open. So at University Church of Christ, you've been leading a series on evolution in the conversations class. And I'm curious how that's gone, what kind of uh, questions people were asking in that class. You know, you're, I mean, people, th I think that's, that's weird in a sense, right? That we're talking about evolution in a church class. Uh, and I think right. that might strike people's, you know, in, in a different way who've never been to a class like that or, or to a church that would be willing to talk about it. So what, what kind of uh, things came up in class? Uh, well, people have lots of questions about the age of the earth. They ask, did we evolve from monkeys? Um, they ask, how can we accept the science and still be faithful Christians? Um, they ask a lot about dinosaurs and the timeline where di dinosaurs fit and if dinosaurs fit with humans. Um, there are lots of different types of questions there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of questions to try to answer right now, because I think you just made everybody very, we're all curious. Right. Um, age of the earth, uh, monkeys and humans. Like, can you take me through that real quick? Oh, my. Give us quick, is that, a, is that a possible quick summary? So um, the science of geology um, and some physics and then chemistry and lo lots of intersections of disciplines tells us that the earth is very old. Um, it's not a... a 
it's not 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 years old, billions of years old. Um, and so whenever you start looking at it in that context, um, um, you have the time for evolution. So yes, if, if you accept that the earth is 6,000 years old, then there's not time for evolution to happen there. Um, so we first start off by talking about the age of the earth is really old. <laughs> um, dinosaurs did not live at the same time as humans, separated by millions of years. Um, and then human evolution is just a very, very recent thing. We think about it uh, as humans being old and been around forever because we can't remember our great-great-grandparents' names. Um, but time, in the whole scheme of time and the origin of the universe, humans have been around for a very, very short period of time. And did we evolve from monkeys? That's the question. No, we did not evolve from monkeys, but we evolved from the same type of ancestor that monkeys did. So it prob that ancestor probably looked more like a monkey than it does a human, but it was not considered a, a monkey because monkeys um, are current organisms right now, and they're not extinct, and um, we did not come from them. We came from the same uh, ancestors. So just like um, my cousin and I, we didn't come from the same parents. <laughs> we came from the same ancestors way back. And that evolutionary chart of man, right, this hunched over kind of, or the, the monkey character, right, then starting to right. stand up, right, we've seen this sort of chart. I'm sure that's something you may not right. show or talk about or, or, or talk about why it's terrible. I don't know. Right. Uh, but it's not a linear thing. Right. It's not a linear progression because, um, so I think what you're referring to is the, a, a time life insert that has the evolution of man. And now it's a big meme of seeing the 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 monkey all the way up evolving. Well, there's several, several things wrong with that, uh, with that particular meme. Um, some of those organisms that are drawn in there are not even ancestors of humans. We don't know what all of the ancestors of humans are. Um, and as more and more science, we get more and more evidence um, from archaeology and from DNA uh, DNA evidence, we can piece it together better, but we cannot draw a straight line from every fossil that has ever been found. Not every uh, group of, of pre-humans actually was fossilized. There have to be very, um, very specific conditions in order to be fossilized. So we don't know the exact um, progression of, of how evolution happened. And what kind of feedback have you gotten from from teaching evolution in a church class? Surprisingly, mostly positive. <laughs> um, so I initially taught this class a few years back. And so um, a lot of people had never thought about evolution before. They'd never met a scientist who was a Christian um, who talked about it, especially in a church class where it was considered to be okay to think about it and to talk about it and to struggle with some of these ideas. Um, so a lot of the, the, the people in the class had never had the chance to think about it. And most of them were appreciative just to be able to think about it and to be able to talk about it. They may not have changed their mind about where they were at the end of the day. Um, they may not have come to accept evolution, but they appreciated being able to talk about it and think about it in a, in a safe space. Um, some people, because they'd never thought about it, 
they were able to think about it and then make, come to some different conclusions. Some started reading Genesis a little bit differently, less literal. And then I have had feedback that they say, well, then that opened up the whole Bible for me to see it in a different way and for me to grow much more from just thinking about Genesis differently. And so uh, I, I think that was, that's been a, a big value in that class. And after spending six weeks or more talking about that uh, and doing these lessons in the class, what, uh, what kind of takeaways have you, have you learned? Well, some of the takeaways that I have is, again, I, I was surprised at how many people were open to thinking about theistic evolution. And, um, and, and also surprised because as I was growing up in a conservative uh, Christian tradition, we did not talk about evolution in church. And when we did, we talked about how it was completely wrong and anti-God. And so for a long time, I did not talk about um, evolution. And whenever I was struggling with thinking about, do I accept evolution? Do I not? Whenever I was in my early 20s, I did not know who to go to talk to in church. Um, I, uh, the, I did not know anybody in any of my churches that I had ever been a part of that I could reach out to. And so I thought I was the only one. So I had decided probably about 15 years ago, this is a topic that I'm not going to talk about in church because... I think about things so differently than other people. I don't want to cause huge amounts of division. <laughs> but then um, I started thinking about, through the years, how important it was um, to think about evolution and being a Christian as going hand in hand. Because I saw the growth that I experienced in my life. And I also saw a lot of people that were Christians, went to graduate school, made the decision that evolution and Christianity are not compatible. I'm going to choose evolution and science because that makes sense to me. But, but they had nobody else to talk to. And so one of the reasons that I do the, did the class is and why I continue to teach um, these things in my classes at ACU is because I don't want people to walk away from faith because they see the science and are convinced by the science. I want them to see that there is a pathway to where, yes, you can be a faithful Christian and you can accept evolution um, and accept the science and think about God as an almighty creator through the process of evolution and not walk away from faith. And so... Whereas some people see me as a divisive character, um, I want people to know that you don't have to leave faith because of this issue. It's not one of the most important issues of faith, um, but I don't want people to leave because of this. And I also, and even though um, I may get the reputation <laughs> of being the, the scientist who's talking about evolution in church, um, even if people don't agree with me, whenever they see a friend or a family member or their child struggling with evolution and thinking that their child might be walking away from faith, they know they can send them to me, um, and then I can 
help the person work through some of these difficult issues because I've been there. Um, and I continually think about these questions. Well, this is an incredibly fascinating uh, series. I really, really appreciate uh, all the work you put into it. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Dr. Jennifer Huddleston is a microbiologist and chair of the biology department at Abilene Christian University. Next time on Deep and Wide, we talk about happiness and the ways in which some ancient Christian practices may be validated by modern research. Deep and Wide is produced in association with the Conversations class at University Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, and distributed by public radio station KACU. I'm Nathan Gibbs, and this is Deep and Wide. Deep and Wide.